Merry Christmas, everybody. I am so glad to be with you tonight. We're going to be talking again about a famous writer, author, uh, and some of her inspirations about Christmas. When I was in the ninth grade, we were studying world history and we were studying World War II. My history teacher was about 100 years old. I think he was old when World War II started. And I was telling my dad, this is the most boring class. All we're doing is dates and battles and generals. And I don't even know where these places are. And, and dad just kind of listened. And he reached up on his shelf and he handed me a book. And he said, read this. And it was a book called The Hiding Place. Has anybody seen the movie? Read the book? Oh, that's got to be on your Christmas list to watch. And I'm telling you, it's not an easy read or an easy watch, but it's something that will help you to understand more than just what was going on politically during World War II, but how it was affecting families and everything about their life. Corrie ten Boom lived above her father's watchmaker's shop in the Netherlands. And during the war, they started to take in Jewish families and refugees. They also took in people that were disabled because both were at risk of being executed by the Nazis. And they would hide them in their home. And they worked for many years with the Dutch um, underground, helping to hide people and help to rescue them during this time. And it was during this period in her life when she developed, she was, they were strong Christians. They believed in, in church and the Bible and all of those things. But there was something about the hardness of this political and time of war in her life that, that really anchored her faith. Her sister said about this horrible point in history, this pit of destruction and death, that they had been thrown into. She said, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. What a horrible thing to think about around the Christmas season. The atrocities of World War II and concentration camps. Because later, Corey and her sister and her father were arrested because of their helping the Dutch underground, and they were sent to a concentration camp in Ravensburg. In 1942, though, before all of this happened, a very well-dressed Jewish young woman knocked on her, the, her door and told them that she needed help. She told them that her husband, who was also Jewish, had been taken away by the Gestapo, and her son was in hiding and all she had was the suitcase she had with her, just what she could grab, throw together, and she had nowhere to go. And Corey's father, Casper, said, In this household, God's people are always welcome. Because one of the tenets of their faith was that they believed that God's people were the Jewish people, and that they were precious to God, and that all people were created equal Regardless of their ability, their disability, their race, these were God's people. This was a powerful motivation for the selfless acts that they would do to help rescue families. They helped to rescue hundreds of Jewish families. We don't even know for sure because they couldn't keep records because they didn't want those records getting out. 
when they were betrayed by someone and turned over the, to the Gestapo, which was actually just a few short blocks away from their house. And her father often said, well, the church is indeed built at the gates of hell. This Timboom family, they would celebrate with their Jewish guest the Sabbath. And then on Sunday, they would celebrate the wonderful faith they had in Jesus Christ. It was this strong faith that helped them to live out their faith every day in the most difficult of situations. I told you that they also helped people that had uh, disabilities. In one particular family, the father of this young girl worked for the ration card office. And this is their ration cards was where they got food. And if you used up your ration card, that was it. You didn't get any more food. And he told her he wanted to help her because of the way she had helped his daughter. He said, how many ration cards do you want? And she said, I meant to say five, but when I opened my mouth, a hundred came out of my mouth. So he gave me a hundred ration cards. And she was able during this time to help get ration cards to family, to get food in what was called the hunger winter. After her family was arrested, her father only lived 10 days after his arrest. And she and her sister were taken to Ravensburg. Her sister was not in good health, and she didn't last very long in the camps. And Corey fully expected that this would be the end of her life as well. But unexpectedly, one day, she was released from the camps and sent out. She later found out that it was a clerical error that brought about her release and that within 12 days all of the women in her age group were sent to the gas chambers. How hard it must have been to spend Christmas in an environment like a concentration camp. How hard it must have been to see death around you every day. There were no cries of a newborn baby, there was only death. It's understandable in our minds, in our thoughts, how she had every right to be depressed, to feel defeated, to be driven by fear. But instead, she wrote things during this time like, faith sees the invisible, it believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Never be afraid, she said, to trust an unknown future to a known God. Where did she find that kind of anchor to have that kind of strength in that kind of environment? Her first anchor, something that she held on to, was the power of prayer. She said that prayer is the guard of your heart. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That anchor of prayer opens a whole different 
realm. We understand the natural realm. We even understand more now about the heavenlies than we've ever stood before. But there is something about prayer that opens a door to God that nothing else can. It's not just words and recitations. It's not just uh, even getting in a quiet place and thinking good thoughts. And I hate it when people send me things on Facebook that says, I'm sending you good vibes today. And I'm like, no, I need somebody to pray for me. This is not a good vibe situation. This is a prayer moment. Please send me some prayers. When we go into that place of prayer, we are doing what the scripture says in Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Corey says this about prayer. The wonderful thing about prayer is that you leave a world of not being able to control something and enter into God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power and nothing is too small for his love. Now, my grandson is an Iron Man. <sighs> He's his hero. He wants to be him. He wants to dress up. He wants everything. He even told Papa, when I grow up, I'm going to build a house just like Iron Man's. It's going to have 12 stories. And I'm going to buy you a Mustang convertible. But I'm going to get a Lambo. That's a Lamborghini for us grandmas that didn't know. But in Iron Man's house, there's this room where he has all of his suits. And they just really look cool in these glass chambers, just waiting to be used, waiting for the time to go into battle. But you know what I found out about this? By watching Iron Man for the 537,000th time with my grandchildren, those suits on their own don't have any power. It's this, and they're going to kill me because I'm going to say it wrong. It's this nuclear thing that's been implanted into Tony Stark, and that's where the power comes from. And when he puts on the suit, then he uses this power. But as long as those suits hang there looking good, they're just an adornment. But it's not until he puts it on that the power comes and that he can, you know, defeat all the bad guys and fight all the battles. You see, as Christians, our power in our heart comes from prayer. This is what ignites us to be able to go into battle. This is what takes us from just being able to say the right things and look the right way and really experience the power of God that comes from the power of a realm of prayer. We cannot neglect God's power by neglecting our prayer life. We enter into a reality with God through prayer where everything else is powerless and just pretty to look at. Corey says this, When a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians, the devil laughs. When he stops studying the Bible, the devil laughs. But when he stops praying, the devil laughs shouts for joy. In other words, you can 
You can do the right things. You can say the right things. But if you're going through life without the power of prayer, the enemy's not afraid of you. Somebody gave me a little plaque that I have in my office. And it basically says, be the kind of woman that when you get up in the morning, the devil says, oh, no, she's up. (laughs) And we experience that power first through opening the door by praying the prayer of forgiveness. You see, the anchor of forgiveness in Corey's life was what unlocked those doors of what should have been resentment and bitterness and handcuffs of hatred. She says forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It's a power that breaks the chain of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. We all need forgiveness. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, we've all come short of the glory of God. None of us have attained it. We need forgiveness, but we also need to to forgive. We need to forgive others. Colossians 3.13 says this, Bear with each other and forgive one another. Even if you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, if you're taking notes, underline or highlight that. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. What does that mean? That means there's no exemption clause with forgiveness. An exemption clause says, okay, this applies to everything except this, this, and this. Uh, If it's that, then you don't have to forgive. But it also applies to, well, God could look at us and say, well, yeah, you know, I forgive. I'll forgive everything except this, this, and this. God forgives. When we come to him, he forgives us totally, completely. There is nothing left. And he looks at us and he says, now you forgive like I forgave you. And can I tell you, that's hard. That is hard when you're in a situation like someone like Corey Ten Boom. And we look at that and we say, well, they have every right not to forgive. They have every right. Look what was done to them. Look what's happened in their lives. Why should they have to be forgiving? But God says again, forgive as I have forgiven you. We're told to embrace forgiving just like God embraced forgiving us. And in forgiving, that opens the next anchor in our life for action. Because you see, unforgiveness holds us back. Unforgiveness keeps us from moving forward. Unforgiveness keeps us stuck in an act or a moment in time. But forgiveness opens those doors that we can walk through in action. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, almost abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your your labor is not in vain. What we do, what we say, What we want others to see, those are not actions of how we come to Christ. Those are not actions of grace. That's what happens when we experience grace. We want to work. We want to give. We want to do. Corey said, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. We want to reach out to others. We want to make 
Thanksgiving baskets and give to families that need a turkey for Thanksgiving. We want to walk past the, the kettles at the grocery store and drop in a little change to help somebody who's having a rough day. We want to look at the stuff in our basement and say, surely there is somebody who needs another twin bed because I got four of them in the basement. Why am I holding this stuff? It doesn't have to be the big things. It doesn't have to be the Mother Teresa moments. It can be that little moment of saying to someone, Merry Christmas, or giving a cup of water. Because the Bible says that anytime we do these things, we're doing them as under Christ. I was in the grocery store a few years back. And we were getting ready for a Christmas event at our house. And my buggy was loaded. And I had bought, had two bouquets of flowers to take home and put on my table for the Christmas dinner. We were going to be having some guests over. And the woman checking out in front of me looked like she had had a rough day. She had a couple of kids in the buggy, and they were all over the buggy, everywhere but in the seat. She was trying to pay for her groceries. She was trying, and she turned around and looked at me, and she said, you obviously had time to put on your makeup and do your hair today. And I thought, well, you just don't know what my day's been like. But I was like, well, yeah, I try. And she said, and you're getting flowers. So I just kind of laughed, and she went on, and I went on, and I started out to the car. And about halfway across the parking lot, who is two cars down from me? But this woman struggling to get the car, kids in the car, buckled in the seatbelts, get the groceries in, and it's starting to snow. And she just looked like it was a rough day. And you know how sometimes the Holy Spirit will just grab your heart and squeeze it real hard? And it was like, give her the flowers. And I was like, but, yeah, I have people coming. <laughs> and it was like, give her the flowers. So I walked over the car, and I handed her one of the bouquets of flowers, and I said, have some flowers, and I hope you have a great day for the rest of the day. And she started to cry. and She said, do you know how long it's been since someone gave me a bouquet of flowers? And I was like, Merry Christmas. It was a little thing. It meant I had to divide the other bouquet of flowers and put them in two vases, but that's okay. Nobody really made that much difference to them. What was the motivation? What is it, the motivation to work? No, it was that anchor of motivation in my heart that says, whatever you do, do it not like you're doing it for humans, but do it as working for the Lord. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. Everything we do, every intention we have, every motivation of ours is tainted with just a little bit of impurity. But with God, his motivations, his intentions are totally 100% pure. God is perfection. And we have just a small understanding of his perfection when we acknowledge that Christ is all that we need. Our last quote from Corey, she says, You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. So let me tell you a story that Corey relates in her book about Christmas and a concentration camp. It was 1944, and her sister Betsy had died, 
and Corey was in the hospital barracks. She said, it was dark in my heart and darkness was around me. There were Christmas trees in the street between the barracks. Why? I don't know. They were the saddest Christmas trees I ever saw in my life. And I am sure it was for the purpose of blaspheming that they had thrown dead bodies of prisoners under the trees. I tried to talk to people about Christmas, but they just mocked, ridiculed, and sneered at whatever I said. At last, I was just quiet. It was in the middle of the night in the hospital in my bed that I heard a child crying and calling, Mommy, Mommy, I'm so alone. I went to her and saw a child not so young, but feeble in mind. The girl was lying on a bed next to the window, not far from my bed. Her name was Oeli, and Oeli was completely emaciated from the lack of food. But she had a sweet face, beautiful eyes and wavy hair. And I was so touched to hear her calling for her mother. She had been operated on, and the incision on her back was only covered by a bandage of toilet paper. That night, I told this poor child about Jesus, how he came into the world as a little baby, and he came to save her, and he came to save us from our sins. The Lord Jesus loves Oeli, I told her, and he has borne your punishment on the cross. Now Oeli may go to heaven, and Jesus is there right now, and he's getting a little house ready for Oeli. Later, I asked her if she remembered what I told her and what the little house was like. And she said, oh, it's very beautiful, and there are no wicked people like here in Ravensbrook, only good people and angels. And Oeli will see Jesus there. And the child added, I will ask Jesus to make me brave when I have pain. I will think of the pain that Jesus suffered in showing Oeli the way to go to heaven. And then she folded her hands and we prayed together. And I knew in that moment why I was spending Christmas in a concentration camp in Ravensbrook. A perfect, imperfect Christmas. What is God's perfection? I don't understand it. Sometimes it doesn't look like what I think it ought to look like. Sometimes it's not the perfect place or the perfect moment. But God's perfect motivation is that he gave his only son, that he loved the world so much. His perfect gift was that he gave his son. And the perfect requirement for that gift is that we believe. And the perfect reward is eternal life. Eternal life does not start when we go to heaven. It starts the moment we reach out to Jesus, Corey says. He never turns his back on anyone, and he waits for you. So how are you going to respond to Jesus at Christmas? Are you going to respond to him just as another story? Just as a baby in a manger that's sweet with angels and stars? Are you going to respond to him like the disciple Thomas responded and said, I won't believe it until I see it? Are you going to respond like the rich young ruler 
who came to Jesus and said, how can I have eternal life? And then he heard what Jesus said and he turned away and walked away with a heavy heart. Are we going to respond like Mary and like people like Corey Ten Boom, who responded to Jesus in total surrender? When the angel came to Jesus, he never promised her. I mean, came to Mary, he never promised her. It was going to be a perfect journey. It was going to be a perfect story. He just said, this is what God desires. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, she simply says, I'm here, Lord. I'm the Lord's servant. Let it happen to me just as you have said. A place of total surrender, not knowing what a knowing God does, but knowing his perfect heart. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for the best gift I've ever been given. Your son, your forgiveness. I am so thankful for your power that you have promised us through prayer. I am so thankful, God, that in my impurities and in my weakness, you help me to strive towards your perfection. God, I am so thankful when I can't forgive and I can't release and I don't want to forgive that you give me strength in my heart to do something that is totally unnatural and forgive others and to experience the fullness of your grace. And Father, tonight in this Christmas spirit, in a moment of joy and rejoicing and songs and laughter and movies and friends and family, Lord, we want to stop and say thank you for that wonderful, wonderful gift of grace and forgiveness and taking our pain so that we could experience you and life eternal. In your name we pray. Amen.